Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's January 6th. The Night of the Big Wind happened on this day in 1939, lasting into the early hours of January 7th. This was an incredible windstorm that affected the entirety of Ireland. It was the worst in the northern part of Ireland. It's described as the worst storm in anywhere between 300 and 500 years. It was just unprecedented. It has not been matched by anything that has happened since then. The day of January 6th, though, had been described as eerily calm. It had snowed the day before, and that was the first snow of the season. But then on the morning of the 6th, the temperature increased dramatically. By the afternoon, the people were describing the air as almost sickly. The weather just seemed weird and strangely still. But about 3 in the afternoon, it started to rain. And over the next few hours, the rain got harder and the winds started picking up. Sometimes there was hail as well. Then a colossal storm rolled in from the Atlantic with hurricane-force winds. The sun had set by the time that the storm really got there, and the cloud cover from the storm was so thick that it blocked out the moon and the stars. So all of this happened in total darkness. By 10 p.m., the winds were just howling in a terrifying way. And the seas were so high and rough that the waves were reportedly breaking over the top of the Cliffs of Moher. Those rise between 120 and 214 meters or 390 and 702 feet from the ocean. So those would have been incredibly dramatic waves. Houses collapsed under the force of the wind. Roofs were blown away. A lot of people in rural areas had thatched roofs that became saturated with water and collapsed into the homes beneath. Nearly 5,000 chimneys were knocked down, according to estimates. And because the chimneys had been knocked down, sometimes this led to fires spreading inside the structures themselves. Many people were killed, mostly by falling bricks and masonry. Walls and fences were knocked down. So many trees were uprooted that the timber market collapsed with this sudden excess of timber. Farmers' stores of hay were blown away, and this has made it sound like a very rural phenomenon, but it it was not just confined to rural areas. Dublin was described in the aftermath as looking like a city that had been sacked with businesses ruined and 25% of the houses in the city destroyed. This also wasn't just confined to land. Hundreds of fishers were killed at sea as their ships were wrecked in the storm. The death toll is placed at anywhere from 100 to 800. It's kind of across the board like that because a lot of the places that were struck so hard were very rural and there wasn't necessarily an accurate population count beforehand. And it's also hard to really tally because a lot of people died of exposure and starvation afterward because they had lost their homes in winter and because they no longer had their stores of food to feed their animals. Because this occurred on the Feast of the Epiphany, which is also called Little Christmas, some people interpreted it as divine retribution. 
And to others, the explanation has something to do with fairies. A lot of times, fairies from England who had come to Ireland to drive Ireland's own fairies away. Later on, this event was so massive that people would describe things in terms of whether they happened before the big wind or after. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a first in the world of music. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History class, a podcast that really takes to heart the phrase, you learn something new every day. The day was January 6, 1912. German geophysicist and meteorologist Alfred Wegener first presented his hypothesis on continental drift in a public lecture. Wegener advanced the hypothesis of continental drift, but he was not the first to propose that continents gradually drifted across Earth's surface. Wegener's hypothesis was largely rejected by the scientific community, but it did influence the development of the theory of plate tectonics. For centuries, people have recognized that the coastlines of the continents could fit together as if they were puzzle pieces. Wegener recognized this, and around 1910, he became interested in looking into the reason behind the observation. He came across the idea that Africa and South America were once connected by a huge land bridge. He also read about the similarities between fossils on different continents, and he noticed that Greenland had drifted away from Europe and that San Diego and Shanghai were getting closer to one another over the years. Geological features also matched each other when continents were brought together. But he rejected the idea that land bridges between continents just sank and disappeared. After reading about other links between continents, Wegener became convinced that all the continents were once joined as a single continent. The lecture he presented on January 6, 1912, at a meeting of the Geological Association in Frankfurt was called The Uprising of Large Features of Earth's Crust, Continents, and Oceans on Geophysical Basis. Three years later, he published the book The Origin of Continents and Oceans. He proposed that there was one big Ur continent surrounded by a global ocean. According to his hypothesis, the massive continent began to split about 200 million years ago, and the newly formed continents never stopped drifting apart. He called this movement continental displacement. He turned to fossils, geologic evidence, and climatology to support continental drift. But people largely opposed the idea. That was partly because Wegener did not have a good model for how the continents moved apart. He suggested that gravitational pull and centrifugal and tidal forces moved the continents through Earth's crust. But that was an unbelievable proposal. If continents plowed through the oceanic crust, then they would be distorted, and centrifugal and tidal forces were likely too weak to move continents. There was no direct evidence at the time for the movement of the continents, and there was no known mechanism that would be able to move entire continents. On top of this, Wegener miscalculated the rate at which North America and Europe were moving apart. 
Though some people supported his explanation, most geologists stuck to the hypothesis of static continents and land bridges. Wegner died in 1930. It wasn't until the 1950s when scientists returned to the theory of continental drift as they explored the ocean floor. Wegner's hypothesis wasn't completely off. For instance, continental movement did have a hand in the creation of mountains, just not as he suggested. Now, plate tectonics is the most widely accepted theory. It says that Earth's crust is split into rigid, moving plates that move slowly over the underlying mantle. While the continents do move, as Wegner and others before him proposed, so does the oceanic crust. The driving force for the motion is likely convection currents in the magma of the upper mantle. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on social media at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening and have a fantastic 24 hours until we see you again. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.